Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 29 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Gosh, I'm excited about this one. Before I introduce today's guest, I got to let you know the Craft Beer Label Design course is coming March 2nd. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait to share it with you. But for now, if you want to get front of the line for this bad boy and you want to start learning what some of the best beer label designers are doing out there, you want to start knowing that stuff and putting it into practice, go to printdesignacademy.com because I've got a free guide there to five craft beer labels and how they were made what some of the best beer label designers are already doing and you get to like pick their brains and see how it was done and I tell you how it was done. Plus, then you're at the front of the queue, the first to know when the craft beer label design course launches and you're the first to know about the sweet, sweet little bonus that I got that goes along with that bad boy. So in the meantime, check out my 30 days of craft beer labels. We're at like day nine, I think tomorrow. Yeah, today when you're listening to this, it will be day nine. And uh, I'm going to be talking about a different craft beer label every single day leading up to March 2nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time live on Instagram. And then, you know, I'm putting them all on Instagram TV so you can see all the other ones. But go check them out, folks. Whew. I should also say that that link to printdesignacademy.com is right here in the podcast description. I've made it super easy. It's also the link in my Instagram bio at printdesign underscore academy. That's where you can find it, folks. Now, today on this sweet, sweet little podcast, my guest is Chris Porter. He's the owner and creative director of Creative Punch Marketing Group out of Memphis, Tennessee. This was a fantastic interview. All I'm going to tell you is the core project that we deep dive into is some brilliant distillery labels. Like these things look so good and there's story and meaning behind them to the point where one of them has uh, imagery printed on it I don't know how to explain. Let me just try this here. Basically, this label has a musical notes or sheet music as part of the design. And that sheet music was actually created by a local musician for that product. That is the music for that product. Like, I couldn't believe it. I don't know guitar enough to really learn, but I want to know what this like little little guitar lick is for this product Anyways, Chris tells us all about that. I don't want to spoil any of this, but Chris tells a story with us. Then we get into the distillery labels, how they were made, thoughts that went into it, the design, the production, all of that business. And I'm excited to share. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. My fabulous guest today, Mr. Chris Porter. Hit that intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper.
Chris, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for making the time in your busy day to hop on here with me. Uh, as always, time to talk to cool people, man. I'm, this is exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped. <laughs> awesome. We'll hopefully have some calls with cooler people after this, but <laughs> we'll get right into it. And I'm going to start with the toughest question first. Um, tell us about yourself, Chris. That is probably the toughest question. I feel like that's why they have all the games, you know, the icebreaker games, because we hate tackle talking about ourselves. For sure. I don't lie. That's the toughest question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am originally from Mississippi and now I live in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I am a big soccer fan. That's like was my first love growing up. It's what I felt like I was created to do. And I just played through college and, and got recruited to play here at the University of Memphis. So I, I that's what got me here. And um, coming from a small town in Mississippi, like living in, in Memphis is really fun because it's just to me, even though it's a, like a little small town, it's just a gigantic city compared mm-hmm. to what I grew up in. So I'm constantly just having fun learning to do things. And um, yeah, that's soccer is like a big part of my life. I uh, recently got married and that is the new thanks. Yeah, she's just incredible. Um, so that's like those are my two my two things, like my wife, Megan and soccer. And so thankfully she uh you know lets me have like some me time to go play or whatever (laughs) and um she's super supportive of everything i do and i just want to give a shout to her because she's a nurse and she's been going through everything with covid and she's just Uh been incredible so i just want to thank all of the people that are doing that um but yeah myself i i didn't go to school for design i went to school for journalism wanted to originally right and then when i graduated was when the internet was kind of getting big and they were like internet was popping off yeah they were like man you know journalism might be dying like print (laughs) so i said (laughs) well let me uh let me be able to do what i love to do in a different way which is uh design so i just started teaching myself design and and that's kind of what led to all this stuff Awesome. So when was that? Like, what was a, what was the timing? Like, was that like a, a high school thing, a college thing? What was that turning point for you? Yeah, I had some experience in high school with like design and print and just that creative side. I had like a, a senior project, one of my really good soccer teammates, uh, one of my good friends, he and his sister passed in a car accident and it was really traumatic, you know, small town, everyone knows everyone. So it was like a really big thing. So I put together like a fundraiser game between two local college teams to like raise money for a scholarship his parents were starting. And through that was like, I was creating flyers and like doing all this media prep and like a lot of, a lot of print. Like I have a big book that's like 500 pages of like stuff. And that was my first dive into like print design. And back then you know, we didn't have any programs. I was building it all on paint and word. Right. But I mean, that was like a big moment for me where I was thinking, wow, I would love to tell stories and like create in this way. And then I went to college, learned more about like the marketing journalism side of things, just like event planning, Mm -hmm. but it never really felt like 
it was encompassing everything I wanted to do. And so, yeah, in college is where I was able to identify that I wanted more. And then post-college, that was in 2012 when I graduated. Um, that was when I was able to actually start doing more print design. Cool. And print design, did that like very quickly, it sounds like you identified with that and you were like, you know what? I really like this medium. I like creating these tangible objects. Does this sound right? Is that kind of how that went for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, in college, our senior year, we had this uh, competition called the uh, Student Ad Fed, like AAF, American Advertising Federation. You put together, like you study and put together this presentation for like six to nine months or something. Mm-hmm. And then you go to a competition and you have to memorize a speech for like five people and like present all this stuff and everything. And so I was mostly in charge of planning and everything. I wasn't doing any design. I didn't know anything about design. And then at the end of it, our our designer for the project, she had a, um, you know, a lookbook of all of our ideas. And I was like, how did you make, how'd you make this? Like, all see all my ideas have like logos and it looks nice. She said, oh, I made it in InDesign. I was like, well, um, that's going to be the first thing that I learned. So I learned InDesign before I like learn Illustrator or Photoshop or anything. Yeah. And, you know, that was that was a, when I realized like, oh, my ideas can be tangible things. You know, yeah. they can't they can be more than just like written on a piece of paper or talked about in a sentence like the creative ideas we have can actually become things that we can hold, see touch experience definitely so that that's the connecting point and i love how it's in design because that's basically you know the print designer's best friend when yeah. you're working in there oh yeah yeah that is that i love in design man I, I it's funny when i see a lot of people being like oh, i design so hard you know and mm-hmm. i'm just like i don't know i i love it that's so yeah. great yeah, I think why people think it's hard is they, they usually typically learn that either Photoshop or Illustrator first. And our good friends at Adobe don't have like exact crossover shortcuts and tools and things. So it kind of, you land in it thinking it's going to be familiar and you go, nope, this is new. This is all, <laughs> this is a new space. Um, nope, go back to Illustrator. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just go back. You know, make all my files gigantic. I don't care. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. 75, yeah. you know, gig business card. Let's just send that in. Let's just do yeah. that. Just do it. It's fine. They'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Printer can deal with it. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Always so, better. Chris, I always hear from designers that, you know, nature and exercise, physical fitness is something that's, you know, a, a helpful tool for their creative career. Does mm-hmm. soccer kind of do that for you and your design career? Yeah, 100%. Soccer is my creative outlet. Um, it's been really difficult with COVID because mm-hmm. I'm not really playing like yeah. I was before. Um, but I soccer is like the most creative thing to me because when I'm playing, I'm like running on the grass. I feel the ball in my feet. I just think that there's just so much creativity and opportunities to be able to pass the ball, find ways to move, uh, run, support, like communicating to teammates, you know, telling people what to do, helping them, like saying, if I tell this person this one thing, you know, as they receive the ball, it can change the whole way that they move. Right. And so to me, it's just a, 
it's a huge creative outlet. Um, and it gives me relief too when I'm stressed, when I'm uh, working on deadlines, when things are kind of going haywire. You know, it's a great way for me to go back to what I know and get confident again. Absolutely. And I find for me anyways, like my go-to um, outlet is mountain biking or just getting out on the road and, and biking. And I find, you know, when I'm really stuck on something or it feels like it's like the walls are caving in on, on a problem or something like that, as soon as I'm out on the bike and I'm out for an hour and I come back, I come back and there's just like a simple couple of things to do. Problem solved. It just creates so much clarity and aids in decision-making that such a powerful thing, getting outside that fresh air, that exercise. Yeah. That's cool. Mountain biking, man, that seems terrifying to me. So I, like, uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's only as terrifying as you make it, put it that way. I mean, oh, you can, man. you can say mountain biking and be on, you know, a walkable gravel path. Um, but you know, if you want to, if you really want to go for it into the big jumps and the big drops and, and things like that, yeah, sure. You can push yourself there. No problem. <laughs> so it's as scary as you make it <laughs> yeah i guess that's true i just always imagine like on that one ledge like you know on a death defying like bike and you're like oh yeah just a normal stroll <laughs> yeah yeah there's trails like that but <laughs> again oh, you choose to avoid them that's for sure yeah <laughs> um crystal i might have already covered this but i want to ask it anyways just in case you have a separate answer on a then a couple of the things that we've covered um but what's your earliest memory of printer packaging? Is there something from your childhood, something from your teens maybe that you really remember that like special Hot Wheels car or the action figure or what is that? My earliest memory of me doing print design was that game piece that I put together. Mm -hmm. But the earliest memory that I have of loving print design was receiving like Eurosport magazines in the mail, which are just yeah. basically catalogs of soccer gear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I have, and no joke at my house, like a crate as tall as probably a standing desk and as, as wide that's full of Eurosport magazines. My dad has kept all, I don't know why it was like a toy <laughs> box. I threw out all my toys and I put in all the Eurosport magazines. <laughs> so they're like all bleeding together and like mm -hmm. all stuck together and stuff. I was saw it over Christmas, but um, that was my earliest thing. And I was like, man, look at like how they lay out these cleats. Like I, it makes me want to buy it like a catalog. And like, it's so easy to understand and, you know, pictures of players and stuff that, that was like, that was big for me. Yeah. I like that looking back at things, you know, for me around my younger years, it wasn't, it was like the Sears Christmas wish book, like that catalog, like that was the the biggest print thing I remember. Um, and yeah, just looking at the way it was laid out, the way things were positioned and remembering how influential that was to me as a kid and connecting the dots now understanding, Oh, like the marketing and the design. And this is why that, and this is why that, you know, I've always yeah. found that really interesting. Yeah, it is, you know, and being on the other side of things now, it's like, it's cool to think that, you know, when a kid or a student or a parent gets something you make, mm -hmm. like if you're doing a magazine and like they're keeping them over the years, you know, that's just really, really cool to think about. <laughs> Man, that's the beauty of print. Like these things that are, you know, seemingly 
uninteresting to certain people, other people will hang on to them for decades and fond memories of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, if it has a picture of, like I do a lot of magazine stuff for a girl school here in Memphis and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll get texts from people like, I got our magazine this year. It looks so good. And like their daughters in it. And they're just like, like they'll have that for forever, you know? Yeah. And so that's, that's really cool. Print is something special. So what about recently then, Chris, have you had any recent interactions with printer packaging that really surprised you or you really enjoyed? Yeah. Um, I feel like I interact with different things every day that like really kind of get me jiving for print. Um, the, I think one of the ones that I really enjoy now is like, so when we're ha- when you're shopping, for instance, I do a lot of shopping. It's kind of stupid. I have like a little <laughs> bit of addiction. I love like shopping for clothes or shopping for like random knickknacks, just fun, like finding new brands that are offering things. And the one downside that has become an upside is that like when you buy something, people just like sell your email address to like all these other companies. And but they start sending you like you know, direct mail. <laughs> and so I get so much random direct mail from companies. I have no idea who they are, like just constantly, but it's so fun because they all have like totally different design aesthetics, mm-hmm. like the way they do their print mail. Like some of them, you know, they seal the envelope. So that way, like you have to break it. Some of them are just straight up like books. And so I like have a collection of all these direct mail pieces that I like of different clothing brands and different like office things. And mm-hmm. it's just really cool to have all them and reference them because it makes a difference. Like if I'm pitching a new project or like we have an idea or we want to communicate in a really cool way with using a direct mail piece, like I have all these reference things. So um, that's been the one recently that's like been a weird positive <laughs> You know, what I find, so the um, first I want to ask you the question and be honest with me here, Chris, do you ever smell the direct mail? I actually do. I actually do smell it. Good, it, good. Yeah, I do. It's really weird. I, no one's ever asked me that. I don't think Megan's ever seen me do it in my life. <laughs> but I do. I do smell it um, just because the paper stocks are so different and yep. like, I don't really actually. I don't smell them if they're plastic. Like if they're gloss, I don't smell them. Like yeah, no, it doesn't really doesn't leave much. So the uncoated ones. Yeah, yeah, but if it's matte, it, yeah, pretty much. If I pick it up and I'm like, ooh, then I smell it every time. Yeah, yep. You yeah. got the you got the sight, then you got the t- the tang, the touch. Mm-hmm. You get the smell in there. Yeah, no, my wife yeah. is my wife has seen me smell mail. <laughs> hey look if if someone's got to see you do it it might as well be your wife yeah exactly (laughs) at least i got an opportunity to explain it (laughs) yeah you're locked in so you know (laughs) that's true you sign the contract this is what comes along with it yeah you find out out those things you know later but you still signed off (laughs) yeah exactly it's still part of the contract (laughs) so chris what do you think makes print so special to designers because you're out of the hundreds of designers I've interviewed through a couple of podcasts and my day job, they've all got little collections of printed things at their desk or at home, whether that's packaging or magazines or cool direct mail or something unique. And whether they design for print or not, 
they're always holding these things and hoarding these things. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it's just a nod back to like humble beginnings. You know, we we're just such in a big digital age right now where even we're designing for just the tiniest little circle avatar for social media. (laughs) Like, can your logo fit in this little circle? Like at a one pixel scale and it's cool to have something that we could just hold Mm -hmm. and be able to read easily, be able to, interact with um and slow down i think that's the thing like you can't digest a print piece in its entirety in 10 seconds or a minute Mm -hmm. and that is one really nice thing about it is like it makes you it forces you to slow down and we live in such a fast-paced life where everyone wants everything now our deadlines in a week um it just like I keep mine around because I know when I look at something, it's going to take me time. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I enjoy that a lot. And so I think that's one, one aspect. Another aspect is it's just really cool to see something you make come into reality. Um, it's, it's a lot different. Like if you launch a brand and the brand is digital only and it's a website and like it's a social media, but really where you get a kick out of it is like if they put your logo on a T-shirt. Or yeah. if they, you know, make it into a sign on a building and you're like, whoa, that's, that's like, then it's real. And it's real. Cause we can, yeah. you know, everybody's got a dribble. Everyone's got all this stuff. You can just make stuff and put it on the internet and like whatever. Yeah. But when you, when someone is invested in your design, your creative work to the point where they're willing to bring it from this pixel point thing that you've made on a computer. Huh? to something that is going to actually be real made of atoms, <laughs> you know, yes. like that is like a whole nother kind of shebang. So, yeah, it goes from like pixel to object. Like it just becomes a thing in itself. Yeah. And, you know, right now it's funny you had mentioned direct mail earlier, because right now I think in a combination with this overwhelm of digital, which was you know, amplified by 2020 in this world of everybody, everything so much digital, that digital detox is becoming more and more exciting for a lot of people. A lot of people are pursuing that more and more. So right now, standing out in the mailbox through direct mail and through a campaign is like the opportunities are endless right now. And if you do something just a little bit outside of the ordinary, a little bit better than the McDonald's or the Burger King flyers that everybody's receiving with coupons and misregistration and smudged ink and like all of that stuff. If you do something better than that to stand out in the mailbox, you are getting more brand customer attention time than you would in a week on your Instagram with that consumer. Yeah, I think I think you're hitting it on the head because it's almost like an intentionality thing. Mm-hmm. When if let's say you get a people want to invite you to a party and you get a text message that's with 10 other people, 20 other people in a group say, hey, y'all want to come to my party? It's like, ah, uh, you know, I feel like that's a that's cool. But do you really want me there? Like you got mm-hmm. all these other people like I don't feel as special. But mm-hmm. when you decide to send me. Uh, individual text with my name and say, Hey, I want you to come to my party. It's like, Mm -hmm. Whoa. All right. You've intentionally invited me. 
I feel very special. I think it's the same way with like Instagram and comparing to direct mail. Now, granted, when you do direct mail, like it goes to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but in terms of the interaction, like on Instagram, you're scrolling, you're just like, ah, another ad. Like, you know, yeah. like we all know that it's all an algorithm to just, I just feel like a number that yeah. has identifiers that tell this thing to send it to me. But instead, if someone sends me a piece of mail, it's like, I don't, my first interaction or my first thought probably should be like, how the heck do they know to send this to me? <laughs> but <laughs> my first gut reaction is really like, whoa, they decided to spend money, like tangible money on a piece of paper, yep. a book yep. to send it to me, you know? Yep. Like digital is, digital is infinite. Whereas mm-hmm. print, even if, you know, you get one along with a hundred thousand other people, one, you don't necessarily know that. And two, like you have one of those whereas yeah. digital anybody in the world can find that yeah but but this printed postcard that you know i always use this example this printed postcard from the deli around the corner having a sale on bacon and the <laughs> direct mail smells like bacon boom you just hit it out of the park and it's that person who gets the mail and goes oh my god this smells like bacon and it's advertising bacon this is amazing They're, how many people are they going to show that to because that blew their minds yeah and then how many people are they going to tell too you know yeah. they they could easily tell other people about it mm-hmm. um i'm a big allbirds fan i was yeah. i have so many pairs of them and somebody showed me like a flyer that they received in the mail for all birds. And I had gotten tons of Instagram ads for all birds, mm-hmm. but I never clicked on it. But when someone had showed me like this flyer, they had received just about all birds. I bought a pair yep. and I now love all birds, you know, and I tell everybody about them. So like, I think there is definitely just something unique about the tangibleness of a print piece. Yeah. And print also creates trust Mm -hmm. more now. So than ever, because how many ads do you flip by through Instagram? How many, you know, wish.com ads do you come across? And, you know, everybody questions the quality of those kind of products. Like it, it, because there's so much there, you question the quality of these things, but a brand that's willing to connect with you there and at your door by spending money to send you something, a little book, a little pamphlet, a little postcard, whatever that is. Okay. Now I trust these guys. These guys are legit. Yeah. I mean, we're all in the age of like, what is real or fake, right? In terms of a website, a product, are they trying to steal my money? Are they trying to steal something from me? Mm -hmm. And so taking the extra leap and confirming with the customer, hey, we're real. We just sent you this. Yep. We would like you to try our product. Like we believe it's really good. And then that's like, oh, this is a real company. Like yep. <laughs> no fake company is spending money in direct mail. Like, this, <laughs> no. like why would why on earth would they go through that? <laughs> like so yeah. I think that is a really cool thing about it. And also it's like from a price point perspective, I actually prefer to spend more money on a product than to try to get the cheapest deal because I know it's better. So like if someone sends me a print piece and it has pricing in it, I'm like, Oh, they're not in the business of like a random sale. They're in the business of this is the price for our product. If you want it, come get it. 
And yeah. I appreciate that because yeah. that means that like, we're not trying to just, we're not desperate, you know, yeah. we're very authentic. So, yeah. I love how you worded that for sure. Okay, Chris, I'm going to, we're going to go back in history here. Going to go back in time again. Ooh. I want to hear about the very first print project that you were ever a part of. Like, give me a little bit more detail. I think we've touched on it already, but I want to, I want to hear a little bit more of this story. Um, that first print project that you ever produced. Oh man. I feel like I should give you like a little bit of a, a bit of both. The first one that I ever produced and the first one that I was proud to produce. I think, <laughs> um, the first one I ever produced, I was working, I just graduated college and mm-hmm. I, I just decided like, I want to do design. Right. Yeah. I just tried, made that transition in my mind. I got an internship for a nonprofit that was focused in basketball and sports and uh, urban uh, youth development. They had terrible flyers, terrible everything, but the program was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. The flyer was just all over the place. So even me and a nod, like not knowing anything about design, like knew it was a bad flyer. It was just all the clip art and words you could find. Like if you just went down the list, all of them were on the flyer. So, nice. um, I got a chance to clean all those up. So I just cleaned them all up at it. I remember like downloading fonts that had like, it was for a winter basketball camp. So I downloaded a font that had like snow on it and like made that the title. <laughs> nice. and, like had like all the, cause I mean, it was, it was not just a flyer, but it was also a flyer and a sign up form. So yeah. I had to have a flyer at the top sign up form at the bottom with all these lines and like check boxes and stuff like it was crazy so i look back at that now and it's a terrible flight it's like so bad <laughs> but in comparison to what they had it was really good so yeah. um and it was intentional you know and so now like i run my company saying with the tagline we we have purpose-driven design like that's what we create and i think from that it stems like anything that I'm going to do is going to have a purpose and a reason behind it. Even if it might look a little weird, it's going to have a reason. Um, so I think that was the first one. And then that led to like creating a t-shirt for the basketball fundraiser, which was really fun using like not even knowing what the pen tool was uh, like all these kind of things. And so I like warped one of our city skylines like down and had a big basketball on it. And like, I didn't know how to duplicate a square. So I was like drawing a square with like the pencil tool and illustrator and like had the lights for the buildings. Oh, it was so bad, but everyone <laughs> loved it. Everyone loved it. You know, they all loved it. Um, that was the first one. And then the first one I'm proud of was after that job, I went to work for a uh, company called Thomas and Betts. Mm-hmm. And at this point I had learned more about design and like actually was a, you know, competent designer at the time. And then they needed a, a fly, like a poster to celebrate 100 years in business. And they nice. had about like, you know, 50 different um, things in history that they wanted to focus on in the poster and say, Hey, here's like, you know, 40 to 50 things that are in our history we have three sentences for each one. We need the date and the sentence all to be on this poster that looks good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how am I going to make a poster with items of history that are like all these different points that someone's going to want to put on their wall? Like, why would anyone do that? 
Yeah. Um, but what I did was I just typed out 100 in like Babus New or something and like really tall X height. And I think I even extended it more. And then I cut out the middle of the one zero zero. So you could just see the top and bottom of the O's and the one. Mm-hmm. And then I put the the points in history like within the shapes, right? So it's still red as 100 and you could, we had like 100 with all the different points in history. And then had a really simple tagline and like really simple copy underneath with a logo. Mm-hmm. very clean and everyone loved it. And like the CEO, I remember like put it on his wall and that was like a really big deal. And so, um, yeah, that was, that's the first one I was like proud, <laughs> like super proud. of. That's awesome, man. What a cool experience. You know, the 100th anniversary for a company, like that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I don't know why they gave it to me. I was an intern, but you know, <laughs> like, it's like a, yeah, let's see what this guy's got. Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So was it just like a one-off for just inside the company or was this something that they gave out to their customers or like, what was this? Yeah, it was more like an internal thing. Um, A lot of all the employees like got a chance to pick one up if they wanted at the like celebration party. And then, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was mostly like for internal and then on the website. So like on the website, they had like, you know, celebrating 100 years and check out our poster and they just, you know, posted the poster as a downloadable thing. So that was, that was pretty cool. What a cool experience. Mm -hmm. So just before we do a deep dive here, Chris, um, into a a project or two that you've been a part of that we're really proud of. I will first want to get into a story about a project that you've been a part of that did not go well, went sideways, uh, fell flat. Um, Tell me about that project and your experience with it. Yeah, the biggest one was kind of a couple of years ago. Um, we were working on this campaign for Boxlot, which is a shipping contain. Like, it's a hub in our area in our neighborhood that originally was like shipping containers for. Sorry, it was I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. You can understand mm-hmm. it, but like small shops, you know, like if you have a clothing boutique store or whatever, yeah. like you basically get to have your storefront in a shipping container. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like the test concept. So instead of like locking in to a lease and, you know, maybe your business isn't working, you're like stuck for like a year lease or more in like this, you know, brick and mortar, you can do this small pop-up and container stores. That's cool. Yeah. And so it was, a. it didn't really work when they first started. And so they brought me in to kind of revamp it. And so we rebranded it and like, it was, it's looking great. Like we're super hyped about it. You know, we redid the space, added a bunch of shading, really cool stuff. And we're in charge of like the launch for it. So in launching it, I wanted to get people excited to come that didn't know that it was happening. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, let's look at all the influencers in our community. And instead of just like sending them an email, like, let's be really tangible. Like, let's create a gift box and we're going to call the grand opening party unbox. So it's like everyone gets the unbox box lot. Yeah. Um, and so what we did, well, the theme was like we had this custom box created with like different pieces of things that they could experience at the party, like very music heavy. So like there's a music box you can put your phone in and like plays loud makes it louder like a speaker 
Um, there's a key. So that way, like you come to the event, you can like open a specific box and get like a, um, you know, a gift card or whatever, all types yeah. of stuff like that. And we were going to deliver it to our people we wanted to invite to the VIP opening. And then we were going to say, hey, take a video of you opening this box and like upload it to your social media to create hype and tag us. So they were going to open the box, take a video. And it's like this unboxing video that's really popular and like YouTube, right? For cool products. Yeah. So <laughs> we make the super cool box, but the manufacturer is just slacking. I mean, just really, really slacking to the point where, cause we couldn't use like someone local didn't have enough lead time for us to do it because my client, like it took a while to get the sign off on it because it was such a, you know, totally different idea. And so when we finally got the sign off, we could only use like an external production company to do it. And they said, all right, this will take like, you know, certain amount of time, whatever. And we'll get it shipped overnight, you know, and it'll be fine. And you will have like a week before the event. Like, oh, great. You know, totally fine. And it just kept getting delayed. They were having issues with something. And I'm like calling them every day like, hey, what's going on? Why is the box not in production? Oh, well, you know, we don't know all this stuff. Eventually, like I'm just at the point of going crazy because, you know, this has been a nine month thing in the process to plan. And, you know, the boxes don't arrive like they just don't get there until the day of the event. Uh. And so what we ended up doing was we went to like Michael's and just got random (laughs) cardboard boxes like, you know, the gift boxes or jewelry boxes. And we put all the gifts in there. We put like a balloon on it. We wrote their name in like a cool cursive font and delivered it to them. And it worked for, you know, the most part. But it wasn't as uh, it didn't it didn't go over very, it, it wasn't as great as it could have been. No, not as impactful as, you know, what you had built and planned. Yeah. Every, every piece of the box, like as you open it, had like a little message, a funny saying. So like when you got all the stuff out at the end on the bottom of the box, it said, please stop looking for gifts. We've given you enough already. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, like things like that, just like that would have been really fun for them to interact with. Um, Cause it was part of the brand and, yeah. Instead, it was just a, a box with a balloon. So um, it was a bit sad and the client was disappointed, but the overall project was an extreme success. So thankfully, that worked out nicely. Yeah. And hopefully they cut your deal on the production side because they kind of left you hanging there. Yeah, well, I, I, I might have got a little mean. So, you know, we <laughs> we got a good deal. We got a we got a deal and they were able to use the boxes later on for another launch mm-hmm. um, for an event, but it was a good learning. It was a good lesson to learn because I now like would, will push a client like, Hey, if we need to, if we want to do this, we need a plenty of lead time. We're going to do it locally instead of outsourcing or at least in the vicinity of our city. Yeah. So that way, like if something goes wrong, like, you know, we'll be okay. Quite a way. It's a drive away to figure it out. Yeah. And I, and I made a rookie mistake of having the date on the box for the event. So that once the date had passed it, the boxes themselves had become dated. So, um, when they use them in the future, we had to cover it up with like a sticker, like, you know, a box lot sticker or something. So it was an additional cost later. So, um, it was a really good learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
that's a that's a good one that's a good one chris <laughs> yeah that was, that was good <laughs> okay let's um let's transition into this deep dive here because you have sort of teased me a little bit with some of the pictures um of what we're going to get into and talk about and i'm excited to get into this so I want to get into the deep dive on this project. I want to talk about, you know, a little bit about the customer, the budget, how these were produced. Um, if you were a part of the quoting process, materials, and how you made those decisions. Um, so, what you got, Chris? Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, BR Distilling Co. and their their launch product line of Blue Note Bourbon, Blue Note Joint, and Riverset Rye. It's some really fantastic bourbon whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, their product is just phenomenal. It's uh, distilled locally here in Memphis, Tennessee, and really want to talk about the creation of the brands and everything because this was when when they brought us in. They already had a brand and a bottle for mm-hmm. each product, um, but they wanted to elevate it even. They wanted to elevate it like it just seemed less unique it wasn't popping on the shelf Mm -hmm. um they weren't getting the right investment that they wanted from people down the line they wanted it to feel like a premium product while being cost efficient so we have uh three SKUs that we did riverset rye uh, blue note bourbon the premium small batch and blue note bourbon juke joint and when we first started they only had the premium small batch and river set. And so we needed to create a new brand for both of them. The, both of the products when we first started were priced around 52, $53. Mm-hmm. They were premium products, but no one was really buying the river set. Um, people just weren't as into it. They might've had a little bit of a flavor profile that they needed to change. Um, but, you know, they, they knew they had a good product and, you know, feel free to interject with anything. I don't know where you want me to start or end or whatever, but yeah, no, I love the story you're telling about the customer and sort of what their requests of you were basically. And so when you were looking at the packaging that they had at that point, like that was, that was your first thing to tackle was, well, you know, you want X amount of dollars per bottle. You're not getting that. Mm-hmm. We got, we got to do something with this label. Like was that sort of your first approach because it just didn't feel or, or seem premium. Yeah. The biggest one was blue note. And so it had a very Western theme. Like it was using typeface that was that you would see in an old Western, you know, it was very yeah. cowboy esque, which is not what it was. It was about the blues in Memphis. And so it, it didn't speak to music. It spoke to like being in the country yeah. and, Riverset had this um, picture of a riverboat. It was supposed to be thematically tuned to the river, Mississippi River riverboats that would travel and take bourbon different places. And Memphis is along the riverbanks of the Mississippi River, so it was big that way. But, you know, it didn't seem as premium. Um, and the red was very dull. So mm-hmm. the theme or the, the color for Riverset is red and Blue Note was this dark navy, and it just wasn't screaming what they wanted it to do. So they knew they had a bottle shape that they wanted, and they knew that they wanted to rebrand. But in the meantime of going through that process, we needed to do something with Blue Note to make it come together a little bit better. So what we did was 
we started down the path of figuring it out and you know all the bottles like every whiskey packaging has to have those details of you know the milliliter the alcohol by volume the proof yep um and so a lot of times people make them small because they want the design to be the focus but how do you get that good contrast like if you have an age year that's really good you want people to know that and so yep. blue note was aged nine years which is really really good and so we said all right if we think about the blues you know if i'm going to like an old blues haven like and i'm talking to a musician i say hey give me your phone number i want to talk to you he just like rip a piece of paper and pass it to me you yeah. know so I'm like, well, let's use that in our brand across all of our SKUs. So at the bottom of the bottles, we created like a tear strip. That's a custom dye. So like it's got a nice beige uh, color to it. And so yeah. that creates a contrast between the main color of the brand. And then every product SKU has that tear strip at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then on that tear strip, we have like the product details, like age nine years, uh, unfiltered, crafted in Memphis, you know, and then what it is like street bourbon whiskey, straight rye whiskey, uh, small batch rye. So now you have that contrast on the packaging. So when someone's you know, walking down the aisle, they'll get this hit of color with product details instantly. They don't even have to do any work. It's just already there for their eye to discover. Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool. We implemented that on the old brand before and as we were creating the new brand identities. So that was the first thing we had to tackle. Um, yeah. And I'm just going to sort of share the screen here so that we can have a look at this while we're chatting. Yeah. Yeah. So we can definitely see the tear strip along the bottom there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, so the tear strip there is, is really cool because it took a while to figure out exactly where we wanted to tear it and how closely we could get those movements for the die. Yeah. Um, the border around each product is a is also kind of a evolution of the previous blue note brand they had like i said they had a western theme so they had like a border around it but it was it was too again too cowboy-esque so we kept yeah. the border but changed the squares to be diamonds just so it's kind of like this diamond in the rough kind of thing and we knew we wanted to have some type of foil so this river boat um, and then the other products, so you can see close up there about the, the border, we wanted to make sure that the foil would pop off of each of the primary colors for the label. Um, yeah, definitely. This, the Blue Note Premium Small Batch was what we're looking at now. That is the original bottle for shape for both of the products. And then yeah. the Riverset bottle that's now is the new bottle shape. So we, we needed to maintain this premium look so when someone sees this, they say, oh, I would be willing to pay $50 for that bottle. Yep. You know, where it's very clean, very classy, um, but is thematically and holistically within brand. Yeah. So we added a music element. We put the a, a guitar in the U for Blue Note. Yep. And now have that music element immediately hit. We had to go through several Pantones to get the right blue. Mm-hmm because you needed enough contrast, but you, we didn't want to bleed into back into Navy. Um, so we had to find the right Pantone, which took a long time and find the right printer that we could match it to the tear strip and across yeah. all SKUs. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. but uh, now we have like a nice light blue foil that pops off of it and it really creates like a good interaction with someone when they go and pick up the bottle and turn it they get they get the sense of like the blues definitely and i love how you have you've incorporated that sort of lower tear strip and you've really emphasized like the years um down in that bottom piece of the label and also because this is like the premium small batch product you also were conscious of letting the consumer like really see the contents within the bottle and not overpowering the bottle with a label, but just complementing the inside product with the label. Yeah. So because this, like you said, is such a premium product, we don't need to, the product can do the work for us, you know, like we just need people. That was one of the biggest compliments that everyone was getting about the labels was we love that it's naked. We love the bottle being naked. So even the fact that like if you look at the back of the bottle like there's not a story on it right it's just the necessary information barcode yep. like at the bottom and like the name of it the where it's distilled all that kind of stuff right like we didn't have it you know we didn't put any story and so we have a neck hanger that we put on it now so it still doesn't hide the product it's just like a little square yep. that has a story of the product on it so that way when people can interact with it like wow look at this like look at this this is just whiskey you know this is just bourbon that's really really good and smooth yeah and um you know that that was the main focus of that bottle piece that's awesome so do you do you have a contrast of what they were paying for packaging you know labels for their products before and what they're doing after and how that changed the transformate or how that how that transformed the sales of the product yeah i don't have the specifics on like before and after in terms of pricing i don't know if they would want me to share the yep. specific of what they're paying but i can yep. tell you that we did increase um in terms of how much we pay per label you know by a few cents you yep. know so because we added foils. So one of the ways to cut down the biggest cost that we have really for the client is labor. Everything's hand labeled, everything's hand put on. So the biggest thing was labor. We introduced the tax strip at the top of the bottle to where um, each bottle could have an identifier along with the primary distillery, which is that BRDC uh, bug there at the top. Um, And so that is the additional cost of labor. Like, you know, we're labeling three labels plus a tax strip. And so we wanted to be very cautious of how we can make it as quickly as we can, like to where the people that are labeling it could do it fast um, instead of slowing it down. So making everything around the same size, making the foils, uh, like every, every die is the same. So like yeah. whether it's the river set or the juke joint, um, and then our future cup coming products, like every die is the same, they get used to it. Yeah. You know, we're still developing the tax strip to, to even make it a little bit more, um, friendly for that. But yeah, yeah. in terms of sales and impact, it, it increased sales, tremendously um basically for riverset that launched before blue note rebrand and riverset what they did was they decreased the price 
in the product a little bit. It was a 52 bottle and now it's a $29.99. Yep. So now you have this really premium label on a more accessible product. And yeah. the label and brand itself just went haywire. Like everyone loved yep. it. Everyone was buying it constantly. And it was almost gaining more popularity than Blue Note, which wasn't the intention. And it's and ultimately down the line, like that's not the intention. So we want this to be a family and not like Riverset Overshoot because we have a lot more products coming for Blue Note. Uh-huh. So it was a it was a good surprise when Riverset was so well received because um, that was something that they weren't anticipating. And because of the packaging and the branding efforts and the the product itself is just fantastic. So you combine that and it allows people to really love it. Definitely. So the one I have up on the screen here is the river set. And um, I'm actually just going to pull up a better picture of the foil and the close-up of that, because I want to ask about that in the file setup. Mm-hmm. Um, like, tell me a little bit about the file setup to really execute on this foil. Yeah. So I have to give a huge shout out to Patrick Weber, my business partner. Uh, you can find him at Alpha Tone Design Co. He is the guy behind the illustration. I art direct, but he, you know, is the best illustrator I've I've ever met. Yeah. He working with him is great because he can draw in all different types of platforms. So he'll, you know, work in Procreate or, you know, whatever he needs to do. But then he we create a TIFF file, um, and then basically getting that tiff we can change the color so when we first started on riverset and all this stuff originally the label was going to be more off-white like a torn paper the whole thing yep. so we originally drew the riverboat to just be one color so it wasn't going to have foil right it was just going to be a print it was kind of going to be in the background but then we adjusted and said well let's make it a red and like let's let's make the boat pop off of that. And so the difficult thing was we had already drawn it for one color. So as you probably familiar, like if you just put that one color on like a dark background, it looks like a ghost. It looks just blown out. Yeah. So we had to change the way that the boat rendered to where we could have an outline and also have the gold and have enough contrast to see the details. Yeah. So we set up the TIFF file, we got the coloring right. And then working with the, a production company, the printer, <clears throat> we had to really get detailed and be able to to um, layer it. So where you can, I don't, you can't see this on this picture because it's really, really well done, but the boat, the black and the gold is actually another layer on top of the red. Got it. So it's overprinting. Yeah. So we have that foil as well as the boat overprinted on the red. Yeah. But you can't tell because it's, you know, in there so well. The the single barrel version of this, you can kind of see a little bit because the blacks don't exactly match up right yeah. um, in terms of tonage. So, like, you can tell if you really wanted to, like, look at it. But it doesn't, like, come across to the, you know naked eye that often unless you're really looking but yeah the being able to get the detail on the foil was really great because obviously it makes a huge difference like every nook and cranny of that wood is offset to the gold even the paddle boat like the shading of it is 
you know, just fantastic. And, you know, the little things even on the flag, like you've got little bitty gold hints on the flag, like yeah, those are all foiled. So it's, what yeah, it's incredible. Detailed, what a detailed foil die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of effort to get that. <laughs> so what the, just curious on the decision to overprint the red versus like, you know, reversing it out of the red and was it just a registration decision? Yeah, that was mostly on like our, our printer, you know, <laughs> we, we didn't really make that decision. It's, it's mostly their thing. So I know that they decided like, okay, we could press this into the label and it'll come out looking like you don't really see it. Um, yeah. And we can keep that detail. Yeah. And so that was really why we did it. Cause even on the waves, like you can see that there's, you know, suds on the waves that are getting foiled. And um, even on like the logo, we have the foil for the trademark and the shadow. And that is like, even to the tiniest, you know, sliver. So we really just needed to get that foil just right. Yeah. Um, That's so cool. Um, now what about the proofing and press checks for this? Cause it sounds like you used a local vendor to, to produce these. Um, I don't think that they're local. They have local, they have access in local, but I think they're like nationwide, but they okay. have a hub here so we can talk to them, but, um, they kind of travel all around. Um, and so, yeah, in terms of getting, well, repeat it one more time for me. Repeat the question one more time. Yeah, Sorry. just looking into how the sort of how the proofing went with this. Did you oh. attend a press check where it was being printed? Did you, you went through, you know, Pantone chips and filter color or foil color chips? Like, what was that proofing like? Yeah, so we got you know the standard media kit with all the different dyes and example prints. So we were trying to decide if we wanted to do emboss mm -hmm. or foil, you know, and emboss. And we decided just to do foil, yeah. but going through that, we didn't, because we were only going to order like a test sample first, we couldn't really get like, you know, 10 bottles, yeah. you know, we had to, we had to order it. So luckily we went and did our homework a lot on the front end. And so we tested every foil that was gold with the red and we tested like the contrast of the Pantones. We had several different reds printed. Um, there's also a local competitor that uses a red. So we had to make sure that it was different enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was like, there was definitely a lot of back and forth with, what's going to work and pop the best for the gold. When we did our first run, we, every, everyone was super well received, but eventually we knew that we would introduce gold for blue note as well. So mm -hmm. we decided to make a slight transition on the gold foil to a little bit lighter gold rather than a deeper gold. Um, so on the next run of bottles, we, we changed the gold a little bit. So that way the gold would match up, much nicer with the blue note gold. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, nice. So yeah, that was, that was kind of the proofing process of that was we didn't get a chance to see it on the bottle before ordering it. 
we actually printed the label um, the first run on a very small run of bottles um, that went to market or went to some stores for testing that um, the tax strip was a little bit thicker and we actually didn't have any kind of curvature warp for the label. It was actually just straight, you know, and we wanted to test if the application would be fine with that or if we needed to warp it. And we found out that like, because the bottle shape was just ever so tapered that like when we were applying, some bottles would look great, some bottles would not. So we ended up going back and just arcing that label a bit. So what we'll do is we'll design the label straight flat yep. and then go in and warp it to adhere to that taper. Um, just because we thought we could get away with it, but we, we couldn't. <laughs> we, learned, we learned that it wasn't, you know, we were like, oh, it should be fine. It's a pretty close. But then the printer, like we tried it and, you know, we got it right. Yeah, no, I totally get that because it's really hard to know, um, you know, even how much without doing a test run straight. And that's where whenever I'm working with a customer, whether it's a beer label or a shrink sleeve or, you know, a spirit label, like, if you're doing some things that are a little bit unique and you don't have an exact sample of reference on what you're trying to do, I always recommend doing a little bit of a test run, you know, yeah. keep it as low cost as you can, but don't shy away from doing a test run because, you know, yeah, spending some extra bucks on a short run of 50 or a hundred labels to just to really make sure you're dialed with the design before printing 2000. Like that's, that's a worthwhile investment. Every time, every time you it's, you know, whatever way you have to do a test, you kind of have to test it. You know, yeah. you just, you just have to see it before you decide yep. to go all in a hundred percent. So on the design and on the production side of this, from showing the customer your nearly ready draft to holding the finished labels in your hand, what was that time frame like? Yeah, so we haven't done too much with the juke joint label. I don't know if you have you got a chance to see that one as well. It's it's not necessarily on my full website yet, but no, I did. So let me just not share the screen, and then I'll bring it back in a sec here. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. What were you saying? So yeah, from from draft to in hand, you know, it was probably about a not nine to ten month process. Yep. Um, it was it was long. Riverset was happening around the same time, but it launched earlier just because we still had some branding to figure out with blue note. I mean, we went through, you know, tons and tons, like I think 30 rounds of branding and label design before we landed somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, you know, normally don't like to do 30, but Hey, look, we got to get it right. So, <laughs> yes. exactly. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, we went through a lot of iterations and, the biggest holdup in terms of design was juke joint because yeah. we had this idea to have a custom like label yeah. that incorporated music. We wanted it to be music, music, music. Nice. And so we had a riff created from a local musician specifically for the brand. 
and we wanted to implement all, that on the bottle. We just didn't know exactly how we were going to do it. Yeah. You know, because it was only, you know, three line riff and not very long, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. But we wanted it to, to shine. We wanted that detail to come through. Yeah. So we went through so many iterations of a, a staff straight, a staff floating. Like, I mean, it was crazy. And we thought we had made it and every time, every time almost, but it just never felt like just right, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that was the biggest holdup was getting this right. And eventually we landed at this design where we would put the guitar contrast with Blue Note, uh, the brand itself, and kind of just created more movement with it, extended mm-hmm. out and just basically said, all right, well, we don't need to worry about showing the full thing because not everybody can read sheet music, but the people that can, like they'll be able to see it. And as long as every portion of the, of the, the riff is visible at some point, that's the most important thing. So we doubled the riff so that way it would fill more of the bottle. And, and instead yeah. of trying to you know, force it, we just let it be there. And um, it really, really, really came together. So this is this has been one of the the most fun projects to ever be a part of because it's so unique. Okay, so so just so I understand and I'm hearing this right, the sheet music notes in the background there that is a legitimate riff that was written by a local artist for this bottle for this product. Yep, you could play that. Yeah, you could play that. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, let really, me just grab my guitar real quick. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not that yeah. good. <laughs> oh man, that would be killer, man. But well, you that could. Be awesome. Yeah, I could. You could. That's the cool thing. It's a it's a legit song, um, and yeah, we're planning to hopefully do some more marketing pieces along with the riff. But it's been really cool. That was the biggest thing that took the longest because we had a riverboat to base off of the original one to make the new brand. So we kind of knocked that out pretty quick. Like, yeah. you know, we, once we had the layout of the label, it was just a matter of like getting the grid right at the bottom for highlighting the product. But so that's why it lost early. Cause you know, we, we got it right. But yeah. the blue note brand, you know, just the word mark yeah. took, took a long time. And one thing we're still battling through now is like, as the bottle is straight on, like the, the foil doesn't have still enough contrast to pop off without certain light hitting it. Mm -hmm. So we're working through more iterations to achieve the overall glow rather than like an angled glow of the music riff and other foil with the blue. So, you know, be, and maybe this is already in your plans, but you know, telling that story with the riff even deeper, whether through, you know, a tiny booklet, as a neck hang, like neck hanger or, or something, you know, really emphasizing that and getting that story of, you know, this is the riff for this product. You can play this. This is the artist that created it. Um, or even a spot on their website that people can go watch this little YouTube video of the artist, like slaying the riff mm-hmm. like that. That's so cool. And that's also would be a beautiful example of how, print and tangible things 
can work well and complement with that online world, which is where these this beautiful merger is is happening, right? They're complementing each other so well and can be done so right. Yeah, that that's a great idea, man. We're we're trying to develop new concepts to bring the rift to the forefront or more um you know beauty for it right now we're i think we're all focused on exposure for the brand and just you know brand awareness and then you know i've got some fun ideas along those lines to have people playing the riff Mm -hmm. doing that for social like telling more story about the riff because it really is like a whole thing like you if you don't know music and which I'm not claiming to know music, if you don't like me, um, if you pick up the bottle, you're not going to know that it's a music, like that's a real song. You like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But just like, oh, cool. Decor- cool decoration. Cool foil. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can't see it in this one, but like, if you look at the top right there, you've got this, the music note that symbolizes the beginning of a song. You have to have that to, to say this is the beginning of the song. So yeah. we put that at the top right or top left to say, this is the beginning of the riff. Now you can play it, <laughs> you know? That's cool. So man. everything is is built to, to reality. So it, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so Chris, we've reached the point of the show for the ask the audience question. Um, this is where we sort of have this group of graphic designers and, you know, lovers of print, which most designers are um, on our Instagram and on our social that, uh, you know, just want to get involved and, and be part of that community. And I want to give you the opportunity to ask them a question. Um, yeah. So what would you like to ask them? Well, I, I have my own like little fun little podcast. I do a really very rarely. And one yep. thing I wanted to start doing on it, um, it's called the creative punch pod is I ask people what their super son is. And that's what I want to ask your, your fan base. What is their super son? And when I say that, I mean, I'm a big Spider-Man fan, humongous yep. Spider-Man. I'm a big superhero guy. But one thing that I really like about, Superman in itself, and I'm not a big Superman person, but I think this is really cool, is that he gets his power from the sun, right? Like, that's what makes him super strong and all this kind of stuff. And so when he's, like, losing a battle or whatever, like, the sun can help him out. And I think that we all have that one thing that when we're struggling or just in general when we're happy like we have that one thing that is our super son like that we can go to that gives us strength that gives us motivation that gives us joy Mm -hmm. that makes us feel super (laughs) and so i want to i'm very curious to what uh, your audience and listener base and, and anyone listening to this what is your super son what is the thing that you go to and it can be anything um what is it that gives you strength Man, I love that question. I actually am not a big like comic book follower. Like Batman is kind of like the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't even know that Superman got his powers from the sun. Got refreshed, revitalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I think that it's more like it's a lot of things. Like you know, he's Superman. I'm he's from a you know, alien planet, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. 
like the sun like makes him like super powered. I'm yeah. so that's cool. I dig that. Man, Chris, you have reached the end of the print design podcast, man. This has been fantastic talking about this and diving into it. Um, I actually want to try and figure out how to learn to play that riff. That is my goal for the next couple of weeks to try and figure that out. Um, <laughs> Dude. I'll send it to you, man. I'll send it to you in a flat version so you can see a little bit better. <laughs> Sweet. That would be awesome. Then I'll try and figure it out, try and remember reading sheet music and all of that kind of stuff. Um, man, this has been so great. I'm so glad we made the time to do this. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. It's been a complete honor, and I'm, I, I love what you're doing. I love your pod, so thanks for letting me be a part of it. All right, everybody, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find pictures of these labels over on the Print Design Academy Instagram account, and I highly recommend you go check them out. You can also sign up for that free guide to five craft beer labels and how they were made. Some of the uh, designer, beer designer, label designer top secrets are revealed in that bad boy. And uh, printdesignacademy.com, that's where you find that. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.